This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Section 71, High Court Cases That Changed Australia. I'm your host, Professor Patrick Kayser. The process for a historic free vote on same-sex marriage is now formally underway after the resounding yes verdict from Australian voters. 61.6% of clear responses were yes. 61%! It might surprise you to learn that until about 20 years ago, a man who had sex with another man could go to jail for up to 21 years. We were still being treated like criminals. And this wasn't about some esoteric debate about the Constitution. It was about us as human beings. The last Australian state to decriminalise gay sex was Tasmania, and a High Court case helped make that happen. It was pretty isolating, pretty lonely. The problem for me in Tasmania was that there was no one who was publicly identified as gay. In the 1980s, Rodney Croom and Nick Turnan were grappling with what it meant to be gay in Tasmania. Bob Brown, who had come out publicly, was a one of very few role models or people that I could look at and think, oh, yeah, they're like me. Bob Brown, he was the only person in the entire state who was publicly out. Rodney Croom came out to his mum when he was 22. She, uh, as if by reflex, said, well, you'll be going to Melbourne then. It was sort of this deep cultural reflex. In her case, more out of sympathy, like, it's too difficult here, you should leave. It felt to me like you could be gay or you could be Tasmanian, but you couldn't be both. I lived uh, with my family in Devonport, looking down on the Mersey River, and of course that's where the spirit of Tasmania goes in and out. And I could see it from my bed, and I used to lie there, and I think the only way for me to be who I am is to get on that boat and leave, as so many other LGBTI Tasmanians did before me. Rodney Croom and Nick Turner met at the University of Tasmania and later fell in love. In 1987, they went to their first meeting of gay and lesbian students. It was a bit of a shock because what I found was a community that was very afraid. I was told that the police may be waiting outside when we left. They'd certainly done that in the past. They'd waited outside and took down the registration numbers of the cars that people in the meeting went to to add to what was called a pink list or a list of known homosexuals. Certain public places would be known where gay men would meet. Wayne Morgan is a professor of law at the Australian National University. In the 1980s, he was studying in Melbourne and he was an activist in the city's gay community. And those public places were known both by gay bashers and by the police. Sometimes it was difficult to know the difference between the two. At their second meeting with gay and lesbian Tasmanians, Rodney Croom and Nick Toonan learned that homosexual sex was a crime in their state. I'd learnt that because I was in a a loving sexual relationship with another man that I could go to jail for up to 21 years, that it was in the harshest law in, in Australia and one of the harshest in the, in the world. That same night, they formed the Tasmanian Gay and Lesbian Rights Group to campaign for the decriminalisation of gay sex. We didn't think it was right. Both had a strong sense of social justice, along with others as well, and wanted to do something about our own rights and others. By the late 1980s, Many Australian states and territories had decriminalised gay sex, but it was still a crime in Queensland, Western Australia and Tasmania. Section 122 of the Tasmanian Criminal Code. Any person who, A, has sexual intercourse with any person against the order of nature, B, consents to a male person having sexual intercourse with him or her 
against the order of nature is guilty of a crime. Charge unnatural sexual intercourse. It not only made their act of loving another man a crime, but it also sent a message to the rest of society that these people are deviants and that you are entitled to discriminate against them, to persecute them, because that's what we, the government, are doing. So it sanctioned homophobia, in effect. Monash University law professor Paula Gerber specialises in LGBTI rights. She's interviewed gay men who were convicted of the crime of homosexual sex. Every time they would apply for a job, they would apply for a visa to visit another country, they would apply to get a working with children check or a police check for volunteer work, they had to disclose that they had a criminal conviction and a criminal conviction for those horribly described offences of, you know, acts against the order of nature or buggery or sodomy. So the legacy of these convictions have scarred these men for the rest of their lives. People kept saying, well, go to the mainland. Even MPs, when legislation was debated in Parliament, would say, the government should buy these people one-way tickets to the mainland. We don't want them here. For some gay Tasmanians, this message was especially painful. A young fellow on the northwest coast who was out to his parents, but he was still quite young and found it all very difficult, and he decided that he couldn't stand it anymore and he was going to Melbourne. But he didn't end up going to Melbourne. He had the tickets and everything. He didn't end up going to Melbourne the night before he killed himself. And in his suicide note, he said, I can't stay here, that's why I bought the tickets to Melbourne, but I can't leave because everything I know and love is here. And that's the point. If you have that really strong sense of belonging in a tight-knit community, it's just as painful to leave as it is to stay. For me, and I think many of the other people I worked with, what it was about at the most fundamental level was belonging. We belong here and no one's going to force us out. Uh, And you shouldn't have laws that do that. Both Rodney Croom and Nick Turnan were 23 when they began campaigning to change the law in Tasmania. They had no political experience or legal training. I think we thought it meant writing a letter to a minister and saying we think the law should change. But beyond that, really no idea as to what would be involved or how you go about changing something as fundamental as a law. In August 1988, the LGBTI campaigners set up a stall at Hobart's popular Salamanca market collecting signatures for a petition to change the law. But their presence in the market that Saturday morning exposed a deep division in public attitudes to homosexuality in Tasmania. There was a complaint to the Hobart City Council. The council uh, told us that we weren't allowed to have our stall there. And I require to leave Salamanca Place Market now. Police assistance will be requested to remove you as a trespasser. Do you understand? We had the Wilderness Society on one side of us and the resistance group on the other, how were we different to that in terms of having a cause which we thought was important? And we set up our stall and they did bring in the police. Rodney Croom was arrested four times at the Salamanca market over the next seven Saturdays. Tasmanian police made 130 arrests before the council backed down and allowed the group to have their stall. A few months later, The Tasmanian Labor Party promised it would decriminalise gay sex if it won the May 1989 state election. On this issue, the Labor Party had the support of former Greens leader Christine Milne. Milne was running for Parliament for the first time as an independent. 
The bigotry in Tasmania in the 1989 campaign was extraordinary. It shocked me the extent to which it was going on. And of course, because I was standing on a platform of decriminalisation and standing with Bob Brown, we were abused and post the election, they would wind down the windows and yell out, poofters. We are out there to protect the family and to protect society from the kind of activities that their lifestyle brings, which are very detrimental, dangerous and at times fatal. That's Richard Gibbs from Taz Alert, one of the anti-gay rights groups that emerged in Tasmania in reaction to the gay activists. That the act of homosexuality is unacceptable in any society, let alone a civilised society. On the 15th of June 1989, the first of a series of anti-gay rallies was held in the small coastal town of Olverston in Tasmania's northwest. Don't you think nature's revolted against this repulsive act? That was the most difficult time because there were people who were in those meetings who I'd known all my life. You know, uh, people who owned the farms nearby. People who'd been my babysitter when I was a kid. And so these rallies, not only were they deeply homophobic, they tore communities and families apart. Rodney Croom and his fellow campaigners entered the Alverston rally holding brochures that said, Talk to us, not about us. The anti-gay protests across Tasmania made the national news. And I remember uh, we'd finished the interview and we were standing on one side of the current affair and on the other side were these young guys with cricket bats. And I I never say anything bad about a current affair because I think (laughs) the fact that there were TV cameras there did actually save us from a really tricky, difficult situation. Labor won the 1989 Tasmanian election and introduced legislation to decriminalise gay sex. Christine Milne. However, Labor was completely freaked by the level of animosity, hatred, bigotry in Tasmania. So when we tried to enact that part of the Labor-Green Accord... The best they could or would offer was burying decriminalisation in a bill that was addressing AIDS. We objected to that, but nevertheless, that was all they would do. It went to the upper house and it was rejected at least twice. Upper house members took the bill and threw it in the bin, like symbolically, in front of the TV cameras. (laughs) In September 1991, Australia signed something called the Optional Protocol, to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. This paved the way for Australians to bring human rights complaints to the United Nations Human Rights Committee. Three months later, Nick Toonan became the first Australian to do that, arguing that the Tasmanian law breached his human rights. We were hoping that that would give the federal government the power to act. But AIDS can be stopped. The Tasmanian government defended its law in the United Nations arguing that it was necessary to stop the spread of HIV-AIDS. Over the next three years, law academic Wayne Morgan helped Nick Toonan and Rodney Croom navigate the UN complaint process. This was a new chance to get a very important body, and not just a domestic body, but a global body, to say that the very existence of these laws meant that gay men were given a second-class status and that that was a breach of their human rights. And in April 1994, the United Nations did just that. It was like, oh, actually, they found in our favour. After the UN's ruling, 
The Liberal State Attorney-General at that time, Ron Cornish, remained defiant. I find it incredible that a human rights committee could consider a basic human right that everybody should be able to go around and commit sodomy. Law academic Paula Gerber thinks the UN could have gone further. The UN Human Rights Committee found a breach of human rights on the very narrow grounds of privacy. So what two men do in the privacy of their own home cannot be criminalised. But what it didn't cover is two men kissing or showing affection in a public place. So it was still very much, okay. we're not going to interfere with what you do in your own homes, but still don't flaunt it. The UN decision made headlines around the world. The London Observer called Tasmania Bigot's Island. But the Tasmanian Liberal government dug its heels in. State Attorney-General Ron Cornish again, speaking to the media in 1994. I think uh, Tasmania is a nice, quiet place, a Christian-based society. Uh, believing in the Bible, they don't want to change the law. Well, I think Ron was playing to his constituency. Braddon was one of the most conservative electorates in Australia. And uh, I'm not sure to what extent Ron really believed that as an Attorney-General he was quite progressive in other areas. That's Barrister Greg Barnes, who was a senior advisor to the Tasmanian state Liberal government in the early 1990s. He thinks the government was reluctant to decriminalise gay sex because it didn't want to be told what to do by Canberra. And the issue really had been framed within the Premier's office not about gay rights, not about the idea of natural or unnatural sex, which of course was palpably absurd, but it was around the issue of the state has been pushed into a corner. So it was through that the prism of state rights. Bullshit. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, they had been opposed to changing the law in principle, so I doubt that they suddenly one day went, well, actually, we're happy to change it in principle, but uh, we don't want to change it because it's being imposed by others. It's, frankly, that's just bullshit. The problem was that as long as the law was on the books and seemed to be valid, then that could be used as an excuse by the police for intimidating us. And the government said, we're not passing an Anti-Discrimination Act to protect homosexuals because it's against the law. So even though the police weren't coming into our bedrooms and handcuffing us, the law was still alive in the minds of officials as a way to ignore the LGBTI community and continue to put us down. Five years after they started fighting for gay law reform, the crime of gay sex was still on the statute books. So the campaigners decided to up the ante. My name's Rodney Crone, and uh, I've come in to admit to a breach of sections 122 and 123 of the Criminal Code. In May 1994, Rodney Croom, Nick Toonan and other campaigners went to the Hobart police with TV cameras in tow and confessed to breaking the law. Our position was like, we're going to test your mettle and we're going to give you an opportunity to prosecute and, yeah, let's see what the public reaction is to that. And it would put a lot of heat on the Tasmanian government either to prosecute and if they didn't prosecute, well, then to come up with some explanation as to why they wouldn't repeal these laws. But it was really scary, as you can imagine, to go into the police station, hand them this direct evidence of illegal activity, not knowing where that would lead. Police accepted the statutory declarations but refused to take any action. The claims are now under investigation, but police won't comment on what charges, if any, could be laid. In October that year, the Tasmanian Director of Public Prosecutions concluded that it was not in the public interest to charge Rodney Croom and Nick Toonan for having sex with each other. 
And if there was any moment where the Tasmanian attitude on this changed, I think that was probably it. Our reputation had been dragged through the mud around the world for a law that the government wasn't even willing to enforce. In August 1994, the federal Labor government tried to end the stalemate in Tasmania. It introduced a law which would implement the decision of the United Nations Human Rights Committee and protect the right of consenting Australian adults to have sex with each other regardless of their gender, the right to sexual privacy. But we already knew that the Tasmanian government kept on saying, well, our laws are not a breach of privacy laws. And so by the federal government passing this very general statement about sexual privacy, it allowed the Tasmanian government to maintain that we do not believe that the federal legislation invalidates the state law. We didn't want the federal government to override the law and then kind of leave it not partly resolved or the UN to override something and leave it partly resolved. We wanted Tasmania to change the law. There were now two conflicting laws. The Tasmanian law said that gay sex was a crime and the federal law said the opposite. The only option left to the Tasmanian Gay and Lesbian Rights Group to get a final decision was to go to the High Court. Under the Australian Constitution, when a federal law and a state law are inconsistent, the state law is invalid. You have to have a rule like this in a federal country like Australia, where there are many levels of government. But the only way you can be absolutely certain that the state law is invalid is to get a ruling from the High Court. And so by the end of 1995, Rodney Croom had filed the paperwork against the Tasmanian government in the High Court. In February 1996, Tasmanians went to the polls. Neither the Liberals nor the Labor Party had the numbers to form a majority government. So my focus as leader of the Greens was trying to work out how is this going to work? We're going to go back into the parliament with a Liberal minority government. There's going to be no arrangement whatsoever. How is this going to work? Liberal Member of Parliament Tony Rundle took over as Tasmania's next Premier but his party did not have a deal in place with the Greens. It was so bad, in fact, that when I contacted Tony Rundle to say we should actually talk about this, he said, well, you can't be seen to come to my office and I can't be seen to come to yours. And so the arrangement we made is we would meet in the churchyard because we were both going to a funeral of a mutual friend and so we actually met as the mourners came out of the church. We came out and just stood to one side and no media could really make anything of the fact that two people at a funeral were speaking to one another. But that's how appalling the relationship was. So you can imagine thinking I'd get any progressive reform was a long way out of my mind. A month later, Rodney Croom's High Court challenge began. Then, on the 28th of April 1996... Tragedy struck Tasmania. Welcome to the program. On a day most Australians are still having trouble coming to... 34 confirmed dead, probably 35 in the final count, after a gunman's rampage through the picturesque tourist setting of Tasmania's Port Arthur. The Port Arthur massacre was Australia's worst ever mass shooting. It just changed everything in Tasmania because the community was in such grief, shock morning, it was critical that everyone in politics rose to the occasion. This was not a time for petty politicking. 
we had to work together. In September 1996, five months after the Port Arthur massacre, Rodney Croom's legal team appeared before the High Court for the last time. The stakes were high. Many gay law reform campaigners weren't sure if they should be fighting the case at all. And the nerves were, firstly, that we would lose and set a bad precedent. And if we lost, then that would sort of embolden our opponents in Tasmania and the laws would stay for longer. But I think there's also a deeper concern and that was that they just didn't want to see their lives in the newspaper every day. And that's perfectly understandable. LGBTI people fundamentally just want to live their lives like everyone else without all this attention. Rodney Croom's senior barrister was the late Alan Goldberg QC, who went on to become a federal court judge. I remember the night before the hearing, we were in the Alan's hotel room in Canberra and the senior counsel will sort of assign last-minute jobs to people to make sure that everything's covered for the next day. And he said, Chris, I want you to do this. Wayne, I want you to do this. And, and I put my hand up and said, is there anything I can do? And he looked at me with this grin and he said, Rodney, just keep on breaking the law. <laughs> what did you make of Tasmania's argument in the case? Well, I suppose it was a little bit unexpected in a sense. What they did was try to get the case knocked out before it was even heard. They argued because Nick and Rodney, neither of them had ever been prosecuted, was a hypothetical issue. There was no real dispute that the High Court should rule upon. If the High Court accepted the Tasmanian government's argument, it would mean that Rodney Croom had no legal right to bring his case. It was very easy for us to argue in response, well, it doesn't matter that Nick or Rodney have not been prosecuted under these laws. They suffer effects of these laws every day just from the fact that these laws exist. In February 1997, the High Court announced its decision in the case. Australia's highest court ruled the conduct of their personal lives is overshadowed by the criminal code. A major hurdle has been overcome and now we have to run the race. And dismissed the Tasmanian government's case, ordering it to pay costs. Tasmania's Attorney-General said the government only continued with court proceedings because of ramifications for other state laws. That meant that every citizen had a right to take such action to seek a declaration from the High Court when there was potentially a federal law that was inconsistent with a state law, even if that state law had not been directly applied to the individual citizen. When we were given standing, then I think it became absolutely clear to the Tasmanian government the game was up. It didn't have a hope in hell of defending its law before the High Court. The High Court's decision had shifted the battle lines for decriminalisation. A few weeks later, the then Attorney-General and former Premier, Ray Groom, admitted as much when he told the media that the Tasmanian government wouldn't continue defending the law in the High Court. Uh, the advice from the Solicitor-General is that we would not succeed in that case and therefore it would be a waste of time and money and effort by all concerned. We approached Ray Groom for an interview for this program, but he declined. In early 1997, Christine Milne met with Premier Tony Rundle to talk about his minority government. In the absence of an arrangement, he knew that he had to get legislation through the parliament that we mightn't like very much. And I said, I want decriminalisation. I want gay law reform. He basically said, all right then, if you can get it through the lower house again, 
I will direct the Leader of the Government in the Upper House to get it through the Legislative Council because at that point that was clearly the problem. In March 1997, Christine Milne introduced a private member's bill to repeal the crime of gay sex. It passed the Lower House without a hitch. Here's former Tasmanian Attorney General Ray Groom in 1997, a day before the Gay Law Reform Bill was introduced in the Upper House. We would like to see this issue right out of the way. It's not a good one for our state, and the sooner it's disposed of, the better as far as we're By this stage, most Tasmanians were in favour of decriminalisation, and Australians on the mainland were boycotting Tasmanian products in solidarity with the reformers. And many, as potential tourists, will not come here in principle. Even the Tasmanian Tourism Council weighed in. And because of that, our economy suffers and jobs, especially for young people, are affected. But before the bill reached the upper house in April 1997, an anti-gay rally was held outside Tasmania's parliament where protesters clashed with gay campaigners. One of the speakers that day was the member for Westmoreland in Tasmania's upper house, George Brooks. Over the preceding seven years, the Tasmanian Upper House had blocked bills aiming to decriminalise gay sex four times. They were independents from small local electorates, a lot of farmers and people who'd come from local government, and there were some pretty horrifically homophobic men amongst them. They were almost all men and almost all 60-plus from a different era, and they weren't having a bar of it. The leader of the Upper House had to choose the timing of the vote very carefully. It took place on the 15th of April 1997. He chose his moment when there were a couple of people who would have opposed it were absent, and so suspended standing orders, brought it on and got through the second reading. And that passed by one vote on the second reading. So it was pretty close. That was <laughs> hold your breath time. It felt tremendous. It took quite a long time to sort of absorb how great it was and what it meant. And that it had actually happened. Because there were periods where we just thought, this might not change. This might just never happen in our lifetimes. Despite the fact that I'd done hundreds of television interviews over that decade and always kept it together, even at the anti-gay rallies, I burst into tears on national television. <laughs> I was a bit ashamed of myself because I thought, keep it together, Rodney, but I couldn't keep it together. No, no, I couldn't. 20 years after gay sex was decriminalised in Tasmania, Australians voted yes to same-sex marriage. Rodney was a key figure in the marriage quality debate. He played a crucial role in the yes vote getting up. In Tasmania, 64% of people voted yes to same-sex marriage. It was the second highest yes vote in Australia, behind Victoria. And we're talking about the state which has the oldest population, the most rural population, and the population with the lowest socioeconomic status of all the states. And those things are usually seen as being factors which would lead to less support. But that's not the case in Tasmania. People's hearts and minds have changed. And the United Nations' decision that the Tasmanian law breached human rights remains influential throughout the world. It may help change laws in the 73 countries where homosexual sex is still a crime. And despite being told many years ago that he would have to leave, Rodney Croom still lives in Tasmania. And now I would hope that for a young gay guy in the same position I was, there's a choice. A choice that generations previous didn't feel they had. 
The Section 71 series is produced by Jane Lee. Our sound engineer is Melissa May, and our supervising producer is Michelle Rayner. I'm law professor and barrister Patrick Kayser. If you found any aspect of this episode confronting or distressing, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.